We all have a story to share, and your story matters. You matter. I spent so much time trying to help out with parenting troubles for all of my mama followers that I do believe I completely forgot to tell my audience why I'm doing what I'm doing. See, we all have our own experiences. We all have our own stories. We all have our own moments that matter, that impact us, and that can impact other people. It's really hard for me to share my whole story because it's honestly, it's painful to talk about, but I need to do it. So this episode is about that. It's a story about me, one that makes me feel very vulnerable and a little scared, but one I really wanted to share with you in the hopes that it can bring you peace and joy. I'm so glad that you found the Genuine Mom Club podcast. We live in a digital world that so often leaves mamas behind. That's why I'm here, to help you get through the days and not feel so alone. I'll be covering topics from anxiety, to homeschool, to health, to raising kids, and so much more. I'll be joined by some pretty incredible experts on all of these various topics to help you with all of your mama questions. Whatever you need, I'm right here to help you. Thank you for listening to the Genuine Mom Club podcast. Okay, hello, and welcome back to the Genuine Mom Club podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis. Last week's episode, I was geeking out so hard on the cool mom facts that I was sharing with you that I mistakenly said that we would have a guest this week. Uh, So that's my bad. Our guest is actually scheduled in for our next episode. So today's episode is going to be much more personal, which I'm actually a little nervous about because it means being overly vulnerable and that's something that goes against the tough fiber of my being and you'll find out why. All right, so before I jump into today's topic, I just wanted to say a big thank you to all of the amazing people that left messages for me about last week's podcast episode. You made me smile. I had so much fun researching all of those phenomenal facts about moms and it was so fun to be able to share that with you. So it really made me so happy to see that you also enjoyed it. So thank you so much for taking the time to write me and let me know that really made my day. Okay, so The more my social media grows, the more questions I get from curious mamas asking me why I'm doing what I'm doing and how I'm making a living with the social media, etc. So today's episode is really a blanket episode explaining to you who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's my experiences, kind of what has shaped me to this point to be passionate to help other moms. And truthfully, It's kind of embarrassing that I've never actually done this before. So I'm just, I don't know, I'm so quick to dive into the awesome information and completely forget, you know, the normal interactions of like, who are you? (laughs) And like, what are you doing? And why are you doing that? Like, I know I've mentioned like little snippets here and there like, oh yeah, my husband had an accident or like, you know, my... uh, my son was IUGR or whatever. Like I, I have these little things that I share, but I don't dive into it. And all of those things are painful. And I think that's one of the reasons that I work really hard to avoid conversation or the topic because it's kind of, um, it's hard to bring up, right? So, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up today. So as you already know, I'm Jamie. I have three kids, ages 10, eight, and six. I homeschool them and live in Ontario, Canada. So I have 
so many billions of stories I could share with you, but this one specifically, it's kind of a collaboration of stories of (laughs) kind of what brought about this whole like genuine mom movement. So my story and my why, they run back like way back to about 10 years ago or maybe 11, yeah, 11 years ago. So a little over 11 years ago, I found out I was pregnant with our daughter. My now husband was then just a boyfriend and I was in university. I was busy like living life. And yet when I found out I was pregnant, I wasn't like, oh no, my life is over. You know, not that feeling. It was uh, my life is finally beginning moment, which sounds crazy because I was young. <laughs> because from the time I was a little girl, I wanted to have kids. I just so deeply wanted to have a baby to love, a baby that was mine. I didn't plan to be a young mom, but that's how it happened. And I wouldn't have it any other way. And also just a side note, uh, if you follow me, you might know that I have severe endometriosis now. And I have been told by my OB that I can not have children anymore. Also because of the fact that I had severe preeclampsia, my body is done. It will not, it will not ever hold another child. And had I waited until, you know, the normal ages to have kids, I wouldn't have them. So, you know, by grace, I have these beautiful kids that I met early, but I'm so thankful for that. So thankfully, my boyfriend at the time was committed to this relationship and didn't run away when he heard the news, I'm pregnant. We decided to get married, and so we did, on a little beach in Jamaica, because his family was going on a trip, and they invited me to come. Then they said, oh, why don't you just get married on the beach, and, you know, since you're going to get married anyway. So we did. Thankfully, my parents were able to come and my brother, but there were so many family members that couldn't come, like my sister and my other brother and aunts and uncles. And I remember that being very painful in my heart. My husband and I, we lived in Alberta, Canada before we got married. I had a little tiny apartment by myself and I would sit in there and puke my guts up because I was pregnant. And I ended up in the hospital twice because of severe dehydration. I truly felt isolated, alone, and scared. I remember knowing I wanted the baby, but crying myself to sleep at night because I was so alone. Some people close to me found out I was pregnant, and they immediately disowned me because I wasn't, quote, married to this guy yet, (laughs) and because I was young. So anyway, after we got married, we moved to Ontario, where my family is. I remember sitting in an airport with my brand new husband and saying like, how are we going to do this? We have nothing. We have $20. Like that's it. He had 20 bucks in his wallet and he said, this is a start. (laughs) I remember like looking at him like, wow, so optimistic, but whatever. So I, we trusted. So after we, we moved, uh, I was so thankful to be close to my parents. I needed their support and they were so awesome. Like shout out to my mom and dad. They are amazing people. Then three months after our wedding date, our move, and this was four months before our daughter was expected to be born, I got this really traumatic phone call. My husband had been working construction and had had a very severe accident. I jumped in the car with my mom and we drove to the hospital. When I went in to see him, he had these cuts that were just all over his head and his face. And I thought that he had a head injury, but but most of the trauma had actually happened to his leg. So we then found out that he had broken his hip. 
I was upset, but he remained calm because he's a pretty chill dude. I remember they wheeled him away to surgery and I, I just I gulped back the tears because I felt like I needed to be strong, even though I knew <laughs> that I needed to cry. It was this weird place. But anyway, after the surgery, he was in the hospital. So I would commute back and forth between the hospital and our home and I would cry the entire drive and it was just really rough. So after he had come home, he lived in a chair. He couldn't even go to the bathroom. I will not give you all of the details on that, but I would have to clean him up and help him with everything. He was this beautiful six foot three muscle man with tan skin that was fading away before my eyes. His pain wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. So we went to a six week follow up with a surgeon And when the surgeon came in, his exact words were, I screwed up. We found out that the surgeon wasn't experienced in hip surgeries. He shouldn't have done the surgery, but he did. Because of that, my husband had a screw that was too large in his hip and it was scratching on his femoral head. So the surgeon then said, we have to do surgery right away to get rid of it. Like I refused, like just downright refused to let this man go anywhere near my husband again so we transferred to another hospital I was 11 months pregnant at the time and the surgeon there said we have to do surgery really soon which in Canada uh, with our health care means in like two months or in some cases years but for us it was months anyway when I went into labor with our daughter I wasn't it was it, It wasn't like a beautiful birth story of having my husband wheel me in in a wheelchair and holding my hands and helping me through it. Like he was on crutches, in pain, broken, hurting, and not okay. I felt incredibly alone. And following our daughter's birth, they did the surgery to remove the screw and put a special plate uh, to help his hip. So then I had this newborn and I was taking care of my husband again. Slowly, little by little, he started to get better which was awesome and he started to be able to walk again and things started to look up and I was so excited. He actually went to school and um, started to be retrained in a different uh, workplace to be able to provide for us and things were really looking, looking really good until our daughter was about a year old. Then he started to develop very severe pain again And at the time, I had actually gotten pregnant with our second daughter, and I had this impending doom feeling that just wouldn't go away. After blood work uh, came back from the doctor for myself, it was determined that I had a very rare blood antigen problem as a result from my first pregnancy. So it's one that is so rare that it actually cannot be treated. There are different blood issues in pregnancy, like I believe there's like the RH factor and stuff, but this one was so rare that it actually could not be treated. So <laughs> that was really scary. And the condition was not great. Uh, they said that it could attack my baby and cause her to have struggles like anemia, etc. Uh, Then one day, um, I was about four months pregnant. I had our 17-month-old daughter and my husband, and we were in a grocery store when my husband collapsed on the floor. I was was trying to pick him up as people watched, but no one helped. (laughs) I rushed him to the ER where they found that his hip bone had actually collapsed. 
So after meeting with the new surgeon again, it was determined that my husband's hip bone had collapsed due to a condition known as avascular necrosis. So this was actually because of the original screw that the original screw um, like that the, the surgeon had incorrectly placed in my husband's hip um, it was actually scratching the femoral head which was not good and it had caused a con- this condition which is a vascular necrosis where the bone is collapsing because uh, it's gotten so weak so uh, I remember feeling like I had been punched like it just was horrible the next option was surgery again and this time their plan was to take a bone from oh, I can never remember the exact name of it it's some bone near your ankle and they would take a bone graft from that and they would put it up into his hip and the hope was that it would restore blood flow and it was a very risky surgery and truthfully it didn't have a good chance of even working but we didn't have any other options and we didn't know what else to do. It was a really, really, really bad place to be in. So his surgery was scheduled, but not for a few months because, you know, Canada. And he had gone back to school, as I previously mentioned, but because of this, he was not able to continue his study because he wasn't able to leave the chair. So he was back in this wheelchair and I was alone. I was pregnant again and chasing a 1.5 year old around I felt so isolated I didn't have mommy friends I would see my mom and dad I would see my sister and my broken husband and my baby and that was it the loneliness was enormous I'd go to the park with my daughter and I would try to make mom friends but I was too nervous to talk to them and I found that every time I try to talk to them, the comments like would always be along the same line of, well, you're awfully young to be, you know, having a baby. And it would just pop out of their mouths, like just a normal sentence. Because the thing is like, yes, I was young. And yes, I have a young face. So that even makes me look younger. So I felt like I was being sent further and further into this loneliness and this isolation because No matter how hard I tried, like nobody wanted to be my friend. Nobody knew what I was dealing with. Nobody knew the suffering that I was going through, but nobody wanted to invest because, I don't know, I guess because I was young or whatever, maybe because I'm weird, whatever. But anyways, so my husband went for his next surgery. I was nine months pregnant. No, not nine months. I was, uh, okay, how pregnant was I? seven months. I was seven months pregnant with our second daughter. And I remember pacing around the hospital while I waited. His surgery took eight hours and there were many complications. So it it didn't go great. And when I was finally able to see him, I saw his pale face attached to these breathing tubes in my heart. It just sank. Like I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why our lives had to be so difficult. I was just so frustrated and I remember driving back to our townhouse where my daughter was being babysat by my mom and I cried and I screamed and I yelled I prayed and begged God to change this disaster of a life that we were living I demanded healing for him for my husband for me 
I, I begged God for a friend, any friend. I was just so lonely and scared. I worked a full-time job while taking care of my baby, my broken husband, and my unborn baby with this whole stress of the blood antigen issue. And the stress was just, it was just often so much more than I could handle. But somehow I did. Somehow I, I did it every single day. When I went into labor with my second daughter, I just completely refused to admit I was in labor because my husband couldn't walk. He was using a walker. Uh, he was three months post-op. I had a 23-month-old little girl, and I was so scared. I remember I spent the day in labor at the house. I went grocery shopping with my my little girl, which was ridiculous, might I add. I, I have very vivid memories of how ridiculous that was. And I just refused to go to the hospital. Like, I was adamant I was not going to go and then finally I think it was around 9 p.m. at night my mom showed up and she was demanding that I go to the hospital she was like you have to go you're in labor so I did I went to the hospital and it was so hard I remember I had to drive myself because my husband couldn't drive and every single time I'd have a contraction I would stop pushing the gas pedal so the car would be like and then like once it would go away I'd like push the gas really fast it was so crazy when I got to the hospital, I found a wheelchair for my husband and I started pushing him down this long, long haul to the hospital. And whenever I get a contraction, I would just like keel over the wheelchair. It was just horrible. And by the time I made it up to the birthing ward, I was in full labor. I went from like six centimeters to 10 in like a matter of, I swear it was like seconds and bam, popped my baby girl. So after heading home from having her, the isolation and loneliness would hit me again and again. There was no one to talk to. My husband was slipping deeper and deeper into this depression as he turned into just this shell of himself in a chair. I was taking care of him, my newborn, and my two-year-old and feeling a huge like sense of defeat. I just, I gave up trying to make mama friends because Whenever I went, I was met with this judgment, this mean judgment. And people didn't even know my story. I think that's one of the most frustrating things. They didn't know who I was or what I was going through, yet they just wanted to judge me. So I don't know. That was hard. And I don't know. All they saw was a young face taking care of two little babies. And for whatever reason, they didn't like that. So I was told then that I couldn't carry another child because that blood antigen problem that I had developed with our first daughter had become increasingly worse after having our second little girl. So there was no hope for another baby. And I accepted that. And I just focused on raising the two little girls that I had and taking care of my broken husband, who was in horrendous amounts of pain and battling heavy, heavy depression. It was very, very rough. And it was determined that the bone graft that they had done to try to help him, um, it had failed. And the only option left was to remove the dead bone and put in a full hip replacement. He cried, I cried, because he was young. And, you know, to have to have a full hip replacement, I just, I couldn't understand why a miracle wouldn't just take place and, and just make things better. But they, but they didn't. Again, I, I prepped him for surgery, getting him all ready and taking my girls to my mom. And he went in for surgery and 
I felt this bizarre sense of peace. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't even explain it if I tried, but it was just this peace that came over me. So following the hip replacement, he had some serious complications with blood. Uh, His blood wouldn't clot. And then he got better. He started to walk again. And I was so thankful to see him up. I was so excited that our lives were starting to look better. We found this adorable little house to rent that we just knew would be perfect for us. So we moved from the townhouse to this cute little house. And life was just it was just so grand for the first time since our lives had started together. And then in February, 2014, I found out I was pregnant, which as you can remember, I was not supposed to be able to have another child. It was something that just wasn't supposed to happen. So something that I was told it it wouldn't end well, right? So it's just really, really stressful. And I was terrified After the doctors did blood work, they found that my antigen levels were very, very high, too high, actually. And I was then told that the baby would likely not survive to 12 weeks. So when I was 10 weeks pregnant, I think it was about 10 weeks pregnant, I started to bleed really heavily and the pain was very intense. I called my doctor and they got me in right away and... They tested me and found my HCG levels were just horrendous. My doctor told me that I was losing the baby. She said to go home and just let nature take its course. Then she would book an ultrasound in a little, I think it was like a day or two after, just to make sure that everything was okay. And I was devastated. I went home, I was crying and crying, and I really didn't have anyone to talk to again there was this big lack of mommy friends that were around me so when I went to have the ultrasound I was telling the tech about how I was really struggling with the loss of my baby because see I had no close friends (laughs) near me I mean my closest friend lived in Alberta like shout out to her but I mean it's hard to be able to talk to someone candidly when it's over text or phone right so When I was around random people, I would pour my heart out and this tech listened to me talking about how I was losing my baby and how sad I was. And she kindly said, I'm not supposed to say this, but if you look here, you can see your baby's heartbeat. And I was just so confused and I was so excited, but also so scared. The doctor called me and explained that there were two embryos and One was passing and one was beating strong and I just didn't know how to feel. It was this, I I was devastated but thankful all at the same time. So then I was transferred to a specialist who dealt with high-risk pregnancies and his words to me, I will never forget. He told me, the baby won't last past 15 weeks. I had already lost one. Now I had to prepare to lose the baby I was carrying and the pain in my heart was so heavy and so brutal as I said I couldn't make mom friends so I remember talking to one of my mom's friends who had lost babies and she said just hold your belly every day love that baby every day make that baby feel special and loved in your tummy every day every day that you actually have that baby in your tummy let the baby know that you love him and so I did that every day Every day, 
I would rub my belly. I would talk to my belly. I would love on my belly and love this little baby that I knew was going to die. My husband finally was able to start a job in pharmacy when he completed his studies, and I was so thrilled for him. I would spend my days alone with my little ladies, talking to them, dancing with them, laughing with them, despite the fact that every appointment was another bleak view into what was going to happen to my unborn baby. But he just kept living. I had blood work every two weeks and ultrasounds every two weeks. They continued to study the baby's brain. Uh, They had to make sure his circle of Willis wasn't being affected by these antigens that were attacking him. But then I started to get sick. I was getting these horrible pains in my side. My head would hurt so bad. I felt like I was dying. I would get sick randomly. One day I was carrying my then one, one and a half year old up the stairs in our house and everything went black. I, I found so like it was, it was so hard to stay conscious and get her to safety. I sat on the landing on the stairs in this house and as it was, it was so hard as I could vividly like see these stars floating around me. I just knew something wasn't right. I felt like I couldn't breathe and just nothing felt okay. When I went to the hospital for my appointment, they did my ultrasound and my eyes were burning. I remember saying to the tech that I thought I had gotten something in my eyes because of the pain and the stinging. And she asked me how far along I was. I said 35 weeks. She looked really concerned, and uh, I remember she said she wanted to check the rest of the baby, not just the circle of Willis in the brain. So she did, and then she immediately said, do you have an appointment right now? I said, I did. So she said, okay, good. So I went to my OB specialist down the hall. It was really hard to make it there. I remember being totally out of breath and feeling like I was going to die on the walkover. When I got there... The nurse came and took my blood pressure. She said, oh, your blood pressure is low again. And she smiled and then she like walked out. My OB had been away for my last few appointments and my specialist, um, yeah, he, he had been away. So I had this resident that was uh, taking over in his place. So I remember every time I'd go in and I would complain of the pain or the headache I had. And she'd say like, oh, well, that's pregnancy. So this day, my OB was finally back and he came in and I was looking at the ultrasound. I mean, he, sorry, he was looking at the ultrasound and uh, he said, don't be alarmed, but your baby is very underweight for his gestational age. And we believe he has IUGR, which is intrauterine growth restriction. Uh, then he said, we need to get him out so we could like induce you tomorrow. So I was like, okay, that's good. Cause I needed to go to the babies at home. Like I wanted to hug them and kiss them and everything before, before that. So then I started rubbing my eyes again because the burning in my eyes was crazy. And I started feeling like I couldn't breathe again. He looked at me and he asked me how I'd been feeling. And I explained how I felt. And I said that the resident who had been covering said it was just pregnancy. He then said like, your blood pressure is showing below just a minute. And he got up and he leaves the room and he comes back with the nurse and asks the nurse to take my blood pressure. So she did again over my sweater. And he immediately asked the nurse to leave and checked it properly with my sweater off. And as it turned out, my blood pressure wasn't low. It was actually 
horribly dangerously high. Suddenly everything became so much more scary. I was rushed into the birthing unit. All these doctors and nurses would come in. I was being poked. I was being prodded with things. They kept taking my blood all while I was like feeling like I was suffocating. And the OB came and explained I had a condition called severe preeclampsia and they needed to get the baby out now. I cried and I demanded I go home because I wanted to see my babies. I didn't know what was going to happen. It felt like I needed to see them. And he said it just wasn't safe. Then an NICU doctor came and prepped me for the horror that might happen. And I was so afraid. I was so alone. I couldn't have my mom come because she was caring for my daughters. I couldn't have my sister come because she was caring for her babies. My husband was at work at his first job and I didn't want to inconvenience his new workplace. So I just kept it quiet and I was afraid and I was alone. Uh, It was rough. They started this IV with magnesium sulfate. I think that's what it's called to try to keep me from having a seizure or a stroke. And I remember it felt like my veins were just on fire. Finally, my husband was able to come and he was so confused what was happening as was I. I was shaking violently, vomiting uncontrollably and feeling like I was going to die. I begged God to keep me alive because my girls needed me. I begged God to let my baby survive because we had made it this far. Like it just was so scary and they didn't want to do a C-section because I was so high risk with my, like my blood pressure was just so high. It was dangerous. So they said, because I had already delivered twice vaginally that they wanted to try that, but I felt like I was dying everything was spinning. I couldn't, I couldn't feel the pain from contractions because like from the induction because they managed my pain to keep it from spiking uh, my blood pressure. But I, I just, I could feel the pressure from the contractions. I, I drifted in and out of consciousness when I heard the baby's heart rate drop. They said his heart rate dropped, but you can't push right now. Okay. Your blood pressure is too high. But everything in my being said, no, I must save my baby. So I pushed and I pushed hard. I didn't even know he had come out because he was so small. I was drugged and then I blacked out. I remember the doctor was shaking my arm saying, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. And I looked out at the sea of nurses and doctors and ICU staff, high risk staff. And there was me alone (laughs) on a table, afraid sick and I felt dying like I felt like I was dying I slurred the words of my baby and the nurse said you want to hold your baby and I nodded and they explained I couldn't hold him uh, very long because he had to go to the NICU so I held him for just a moment when the shaking began again and I couldn't stop I was shaking so bad and I started puking they took him away and there I was left alone in a room. My husband went with the baby as I demanded and I stayed scared, cold, and broken in a room. A nurse stayed with me as they drained me from all of the fluids that had been brought on by the preeclampsia and I would see her and then everything would go dark. Then I'd see her again and then everything would go dark. Then I'd wake up and I would say, I want to nurse my baby. And they'd, they'd explain that I couldn't 
they'd say he's in the NICU and you can't go there because you're too sick. So I laid there alone and scared. And then finally, when they were able to remove my catheter and I was able to gain enough consciousness, I demanded that I get to see my baby. So a nurse got me a chair. And as they tried to lift me up off the bed, I stubbornly stood up by myself and promptly fell over into the wheelchair. It was very graceful. And uh, when I got to see my little frail baby in the NICU, my heart just broke into thousands of thousands of pieces. Like he was skin and bones. He was so little. And he was fighting so hard to live. And I blamed myself so hard. I remember looking at him and thinking like, this is your fault. You did something wrong here. You had to have done something wrong here. And that was a big mistake. I should not have done that. But I did. And so anyway, the preeclampsia, it kept going. Even after delivery, my blood pressure stayed elevated. And health complications came from that whole situation for both my son and myself. But we survived. When we were discharged from the hospital, you would think it would be like, oh, we're free now. Like, everything's great. We're going to be okay. But it wasn't. I was scared of everything. They told me that I had to try to stay calm and keep my blood pressure calm when I was at home. I was on medication for my blood pressure. But try doing things with a preemie IUGR baby and a 20-month or 21-month-old little girl and a 3-year-old Then three days after I got home, I got a text from the landlord that said, we're getting a divorce. You guys have to move. I was trying to recover from this horrible pregnancy disorder. I was trying to help my baby. I was struggling so badly with PTSD and postpartum anxiety and depression, which I didn't even know I was at the time. And now I was being evicted from my home. We moved into this other house that was just horrible. Like we were in a pinch. We had to move. We had nowhere else to go. It was an ugly house. It was old. It smelled bad. And it had rodents that we actually didn't know about when we moved in. But we had nowhere else to go. And even like the basement flooded when we lived there. It was just brutal. It was terrible. I remember going to the gas station. And I was filling up the car. The babies were in the back of the van. And, or well, in the van. And the gas pump beeped and I immediately was just right back in the hospital. My fla- my mind, it just like flashed right back and I felt like I couldn't breathe again. And it was, oh man, it was terrifying. I didn't realize that I had PTSD, but I did. And it was just traumatic and horrifying. And through it all, I felt so, so alone. I started to walk a bit with my baby in the carrier my daughter's in the stroller because my doctor said that I needed to start trying to exercise to combat the anxiety that I was feeling. So I started doing that and I'd go to the park again and talk to anyone. I mean, moms, but like, yeah, because this darkness in my mind, it was just slowly like suffocating me. I started to become afraid of everything and every day I would prepare to die, I guess, because that's... (laughs) when you go through something so traumatic it's like I should have died but I didn't but my brain didn't know how to process it all so I just had this feeling that I was going to pass away which is terrible and I was terrified something was going to happen to my babies and the paranoia and fears they became intense and then I started being afraid that I was 
going to be one of those crazy moms that does something horrible and it just got worse and worse and unfortunately I had no other moms to talk to like just me even just six years ago when this all happened like no one really talked about postpartum or traumatic birth PTSD and especially not when you had no mom friends anyway after all that after trying to fight the mental struggle alone I went for therapy and through my random talking to strangers at the park quote mom strangers like <laughs> not, not just strangers um, I'm I actually met this beautiful soul who became one of my best friends and we actually met at a games night which was funny but anyways she was also struggling with postpartum and I was and after two years of struggling because I tried so hard okay I tried so hard to fix my brain naturally like I tried to do this whole like talking thing and I tried um all these different supplements and I tried exercise and everything for two years I struggled with you know birth PTSD and postpartum anxiety and all of this stuff but I, I just I was so scared of medication but anyway so my friend she was having really bad postpartum and she went on medication and she was like you need to do it it's okay and I felt like an idiot because like so two years after this whole traumatic event I finally gave in and I finally went on medication and it was life-changing and I don't know <laughs> I wish I could go back in time and just have met you know that myself at the park and been like it's okay to go on you know medication that's gonna help you but I was so scared and I didn't have anybody that was like speaking that life into me until I met my friend. And I often think about me as that young mom at the park, alone with these little ones struggling with trauma. I think about the loneliness and the brokenness and no one knew my story and yet they judged me. No one wanted to give me a chance, even though I desperately needed one. And it was hard, devastatingly difficult. All of the things that I had been through had compacted to make this huge mental trauma that really just hit me to the core. And that's why in 2019, I started The Anxious Mom on Facebook, which has now changed to The Genuine Mom because, see, basically I created the account on Facebook and then I got scared. I got freaked out because I was like, oh, I can't do this. Like, what am I doing? I can't talk about my anxiety. I can't talk about you know, my life, like, what am I doing? And um, also then I realized there was other quote anxious moms um, accounts out there. So I'm like, ooh, like this doesn't look good. So anyways, then I kind of backed off from it. And like, truthfully, I almost deleted uh, this whole <laughs> thing multiple times. But then in January, I changed everything to the genuine mom. And that's where I am today. And yeah, it's, uncomfortable for me to talk about those painful experiences and it's hard to share those really dark scary parts of my story but it's important it's important to be friends you know to be a friend for others it's important to check in on people it's important to be encouraging when someone is suffering it's important to love people where they're at and it's so important to never judge yeah so the mom at the playground, she looks kind of weird. Who cares? She's maybe really lonely and maybe she's struggling with the thoughts that are in her head and she just wants a friend. So that's my goal 
And that's my mission. I don't get paid for this. I don't, you know, I'm not a social media influencer with thousands upon thousands of followers and, you know, all of this great, amazing stuff and content out the mouth. I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now, but like, I'm, I am not that person. I am me. I am genuine. I am someone who has struggled deeply. And now that is my goal. That is my mission to help other moms where they're at, to help them with the pain that they're feeling in their hearts and in their minds. There's so much more to my story. I just can't pack it into this episode. I mean, I'm already at like 40 minutes, but I just wanted to share with you these parts, these big parts of my story to help you see where I came from and why I'm doing what I do and why I will continue to do what I do, even on the days that are tough, because I care, because I care about the moms that are listening, that are struggling, and I don't want anybody to ever, ever feel the way that I felt. So that's my, that's my why. So yeah. All right. Well, I think that basically wraps up today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it. I know it was kind of long and uh, yeah, I am going to go make a cup of tea and sit in the sunshine now because I need to reward myself for sharing something that makes me feel very vulnerable. So thank you for listening. If you made it this far, I really appreciate you. I am really thankful for you and I think you're amazing. All right. Bye for now.